Ranger fans to Forever Blue Shirts, the radio show. I'm Jim Cerny, and we are joined this week by a very familiar face, a very familiar name, the guy who delivered the cup in 1994 and helped uh, the Rangers end that long, long curse that has now progressed since then, and we can get into that as well with the trade deadline up ahead and many other topics to speak about with the former GM and president of the New York Rangers, Neil Smith. Neil, thanks for a few minutes today. Oh, you're more than welcome. It's it's great to be on. And before you say anything, I know that I'm wearing this uh, Chicago Blackhawks uh, uh, thing, but I have a friend that's one of the equipment managers for the Chicago Blackhawks. And since they were my favorite team as a kid with Bobby Hull and Stan Makita and on and on and on, uh, he sends me some swag and uh, that's why I have it on. And, and this hat has a Ranger logo on it. There it is, right there, the old Ranger logo. And it, it's got original six is what this stands for. So I like to wear only original six. Uh, that's I don't have a team to uh, cheer on with uh, with the clothing and memorabilia. So I I go with the original six. So, you know, I know Ranger fans are Ranger fans and you know they love their logo and jersey. It is hard to top the Chicago Blackhawks logo. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, it really is. And it always has been. And when I see the logo. I, I was telling somebody it takes me back to being a kid because uh, it was such a mysterious uh, place, Chicago. It was the gangsters were in Chicago. And, the, you know, you never saw a game out of the Chicago Stadium when you're living in Toronto. You only saw them come into Toronto. So um, it was, there was such a mystique about Chicago. And then they had these uniforms and they, it was it was really uh Great childhood and, and great memories. And the Hawkhead brings me back to that all the time. It's awesome. You know, I mean, I know you're looking back, but it, it's great to come to the present and look to the future with you as well. Uh, I, you know, I know you got the new NHL Wraparound podcast. What kind of, let's start there. What, what kind of made you, uh, you know, decide to kind of jump into that end of things in the, in the hockey world? You know, Jim, uh, my wife, Margaret, and I had been talking about me doing something that got my own thoughts out there and, and made my thoughts um, relevant. And we talked about doing a book and I didn't want to do it. And then we talked about other things. And then her company was doing a podcast and I understood a little bit, of just a tiny, tiny bit of what a podcast was all about. So I started to think about doing a podcast and I thought, you know, it'd be neat to have like Dennis Potvin and me. So you have the Ranger and the Islander guy or Brian Trotchy, because I'm friends with all those old Islanders from my Islander days. Sure. But then, um, you know, I couldn't get it going. And suddenly my good friend Vic Morin writes to me that Disney laid him off. And I'm like, what? 35 years? They're laying you off? Like I was pissed, right? So I called him and we talked about that for a while. And I called him back and said, we should do a podcast together. You got a great memory. You're a big, big, huge Rangers fan, and but a huge hockey fan. And he took, uh, he did production for all of the contracts that ESPN had in the NHL. And I thought this is the perfect guy because he's the producer. I'm not a producer. I'm the, you know, I'm I'm the guy that talks, but I'm not a producer. He is. And boy, uh, it, it's proven right because I've been blessed to be with him. Now, for this uh, eight months, we've been working on it. We've got six episodes out there. And the thing that we want to do, Jim, is we want to we talk about the present. 
but we want to tie it back to the history of the game and, and some historical points in the game. So it doesn't mean we're talking about 1994 continuously because we don't. Uh, we will when it comes to the 30th anniversary on June 14th. But we, we like to tie in things that have happened in the past uh, with what's happening today. Because so often you can predict what's going to happen today if they do something that you already saw in the past. And then how many times does that happen in the NHL? Well, not just the NHL, in life in general, just history repeats itself over and over again. Um, and by the way, you really, you know how to ease into these things, don't you, Neil? Your first show, you know, you figure go kind of small, right? You know, just ease your way into it with, with Wayne Gretzky as your first guest. <laughs> it's, you, you talk about diving into the deep end, you just went right into the deep end there. Yeah, we figured that that would give us some street cred you know by having Wayne on the show and and he was gracious enough to do it which I'm very thankful for and um down the road when Mess is less busy with his um uh ESPN chores that he's doing in the outdoor games and he's all over the place and uh he's promised uh, me because he knows Vic too from ESPN uh so he's promised us that he'll be coming on and that's going to be a lot of fun you know what just because you mentioned it go go down that alley a little bit what do you think? Critique his work. What do you think about Mess on TV? I'll be honest. I wasn't sure how it would go down when I heard he was going to be on. But boy, he's gotten really comfortable and he's just a relaxed way about him. I enjoy watching him on, you know, on the broadcast. I was wondering what your take is. No, I, mine's the same. And I've texted him a few times and said, you look really good. I like your analysis. I, I, I got to tell you, I liked it better when Chelios was on with him because I thought that was a great, you know, a partnership from those two. But Mark has definitely gotten more comfortable with it. He seems to be the Mark that I know now that, you know, is uh, great laughter, uh, you know, great insights, obviously, and and um, and solid opinions, like strong opinions. He's not a guy that's going to be wishy-washy when he talks about some things. I, I loved watching him before the outdoor game. Uh, I I think he's really good now, and and yes, is it surprising? I think so because you know Mark doesn't need to do that. He, I mean, it's not he's not doing it because he needs the money. Um, he's doing it to stay involved in the game, and and uh, good for him. I, I'm I'm really happy for him. Strong opinions and all that. So let's hop into the NHL trade deadline that's going to be coming up on March eighth. I'm sure you've got some thoughts about it, and let's start with the Rangers. And give me your take on this, because you've, you've been in this position before, obviously, um, you know, making those calls ahead of the deadline. I wrote a story yesterday about how I think the Rangers and Chris Drury face a little bit of a dilemma on what they do here, because this group has a really great chemistry. You go into that mm -hmm. locker room, that is, that's a tight team. And just the young guys that they brought in and added to the mix, the Johnny Bredzinski's or Adam Enstrom's, Matt Rempe's, Maybe not their best players, but yet real glue guys and it fit in immediately with the overall, with the bigger group. So all that said, you still want to do the right thing. You know you've got a cup contender on your hands. You, you want to put them in the best place possible to, to try and win the Stanley Cup again. So how big a dilemma is this? How cold-blooded do you have to be, if that's the right way to put it? as a GM to make these difficult decisions before the deadline, because you don't want to upset the apple cart, which has been a good year so far, but yet you want to put that team in the best possible footing, uh, you know, to try and win the Stanley Cup. An excellent question and well 
put, um, I didn't think that what they did last year was advisable. Now, I, I think Patrick Kane is an, an amazing, has had an amazing career, and he's doing some amazing things this year in Detroit. But I think you just nailed it when you said, like, you, you know, you've got a tight chemistry, you've got a tight group, and all of a sudden somebody completely from the outside comes in and displaces the group because what happens is a guy comes in let's say he's a, a player that's going to play on the power play well guess what somebody doesn't get to play on the power play because he's come in and that guy rides to practice with his best buddy that's also on the team that he's talking to all the time and they're talking to other people and it's not that they don't like the new guy but he hasn't been part of the team all year and now all of a sudden he's got to be part of the team and if it's a, and as you said if it's a tight group you know, th this is going to be tough. Now, the one thing that you could still do today is if you are talking about a player that one of your leaders has played with in the past or one of your important players has, can, can endorse for you to the rest of the players, then it's a different thing. And back in, in, in 94, when we made all those trades, Glenn Anderson, I mean, very familiar with all the guys there. Uh, Two guys were coming in from Chicago uh, that were familiar with Keenan and um, Craig McTavish, very familiar to the players there. So when those players walk in the locker room and they were support players, all of them, um, you know, they were welcomed because people knew who they, you know, people knew them and they were all veterans and, and that. Um, and I, they didn't upset our apple cart, uh, your words, it could, because they were known. But I think you've got to be really careful with the team chemistry coming down the line if you are going to bring somebody in that's a significant cog at the deadline. And that's why I've always said you can't bring a goalie in at the deadline. A goalie is too big of a part of the team that you're going to change your goalie. Like, you know, for example, right now, if New Jersey trades for a goalie now, well, like, who is this guy? Where'd he come from? Well, what are we doing here? What, what about this guy and that guy? They're, you know, the nicknames. Oh, you know, Dozzy. What, 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 where's Dozzy going? You know, um, that kind of thing. It, it's, 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 it can be upsetting, and especially with a goalie. Um, and I, I've been proven right on that because if you look back, you'll never see a team that made a goalie change at the deadline that had a significant improvement in their team performance. Yes, Colorado got Patrick Waugh during the season. And went on to win the cup, but that was during the season. There was a lot of time for that for that to mesh. I, I'm going to play a little devil's advocate here. What if the goalies got term on that deal, like a Jacob Markstrom, just using him as an example, uh, and New Jersey makes the deal for him now? Yeah, they're trying to get themselves into the playoffs here, but they're looking big picture as well because they'd still have him uh, past this season. Is it still? too much of an upsetting thing is that still a move that you would prefer to make in the off season well no you're that's a good that's a good call if you're bringing in a player like if you've got a deficiency and we all know that they haven't had good goaltending this year the devils and so if you're going to bring in a markstrom if you can get markstrom everybody in the locker room is going to look around and say this guy could get us into the playoffs this is a good move I mean, right now, the Devils just want to get in the playoffs, right? I mean, they can't be shooting much higher than that at this point. Um, so, yes, I take that back. In that situation, I guess I was more referring to a deadline deal from a contending team. 
I think when you're, I don't consider the Devils a contender for the cup. I consider them a contender to make the playoffs. And so, yes, that would be a move well endorsed by the team. I know you don't like to make predictions on, you know, where this player might go here, this player might go there. But looking at the Rangers situation, um, probably need a top line right wing, certainly looking into that. Maybe a third line center as well, especially with Phil Filipino out for the season. Of course, Blake Wheeler out for the season as well. I say, if I'm sitting in the GM's chair, I know Johnny Brzezinski's been a nice player on that third line. I'm not letting a Brzezinski or a Rempe, who are great stories, great teammates, and part of that chemistry, stand in the way of me maybe getting an Adam Henrique, for example, you know, as the third line center, or just because uh you know they might be popular it might be the flavor of the moment or, or what have you you're significantly upgrading that team and going to your point i think it's well known around the league that adam henrique is a quality guy you know he's probably not gonna cause turmoil in that dressing room he's not that type of player or personality right. um so that's it you know it's kind of a, a wind up build up question here if the rangers had to make a couple moves before the deadline, maybe even a third move for a defenseman if you think that that they need that as well. Uh, do you go down the road? Do you pull those triggers? Or do you think one move, one mid-range move is the better way to go? Um, how do you approach the deadline if you're the New York Rangers? I think uh, you look at your lineup and you say, there's a big, there's a long future there for Edstrom. There's a long future there for Remke. Um, even with Brodzinski, I, I think he's played really well. Um, if they sent, if they had to send him down, they're not sending down millions of dollars. You know, if he got the one-way contract, I think it was eight seventy-five or something. Um, on defense, uh, you know, who is their number six defenseman? Can we upgrade that? And I don't think that is upsetting your chemistry because those are this is a support players. And you you talk to them, and they know they're the rest of the group knows they're young players, and their their day's coming. Um, so I think when you can upgrade your support players, uh, that's the way to go. Uh, you know, it's, it, and of course it worked for me, so obviously I believe in it. But um, I, I I don't think that you can hesitate and say, well, it's not fair to Remke, or it's not fair to Edstrom, or it's not fair to this guy uh you know to do that because you know they fit into the group and I, you have to do what you can do to upgrade um but if you if you try to go from and i'm making this up totally so don't take me seriously but if you try to go from zabanajan to some better center you're going to upset the apple cart you're going to upset the chemistry and um so or if you try to go you know one up a panarin or one up a Kreider or or you know that kind of thing I, I don't believe in that. And in fact, Jim, I look back at all trade deadlines going back, I don't know, forever. Um, and there's only one team, there's only one time that I could ascertain that at the deadline, a team picked up a star player in the league and went on to win the cup. Only one time. And that was Rob Blake for the Colorado Avalanche when he joined Raymond Bork on that defense and they won the cup that year but i've looked at every other stanley cup winner 
and I'd gone through their roster and did they pick up a star at the deadline? And it was always no. It's a great point. Yeah, the, the recent you know, years, you, you see like Tampa was always very active before the deadlines and the years that they made it, they're adding Barkley Goudreau, Blake Coleman. You know, those yeah. were like the missing links uh, to those teams. Yeah, there, there's a name that, and not, not those two, but somebody who played with them who is an intriguing option, uh, I think, at the deadline for a contender, whether it be the Rangers or someone else. And that's Tyler Johnson. Now that he's healthy again, mm -hmm. guy that can play center in the wing. Obviously, Chicago could retain half that salary because they're not, you know, near the, you know, the ceiling and the cap. Uh, your thoughts on him? And, uh, you know, as a guy, a two-time cup winner and uh, a fit, whether it be New York or, or somewhere else. Um, I, I mentioned him on the on our show uh, yesterday, uh, or it just came out uh, today. But um, that 119 playoff games uh, for Tyler Johnson, uh, you want a guy that's a playoff experienced guy. Uh, when you pick up those pieces, you, you, you'd like to have people that understand the playoffs as a different uh, animal than the regular season. And Tyler Johnson certainly does. Um, so, yes, I think he'd be a pickup. If I can mention a couple others, though, from the same era, I think that Belmar would be a great pickup for somebody because of the fact that he's been through 80-something playoff games. Uh, he, he he reminds me of getting McTavish uh, in 94. He's that guy that's going to play, a, you know, a, a role for your team. Let the stars play the way they have to play. But you're a shutdown guy, you know, uh, uh, so – I think he would be a, a good pickup. Another guy in the same vein is Eric Johnson in Buffalo, who's, uh, you know, got tons of playoff experience from the Avalanche and won a cup two years ago there. Originally a first overall pick, uh, still got game, still got size. Uh, I mean, he would be a, a wonderful pickup to upgrade one of your bottom three, let's say. Um, and there's others out there, but uh, I'm sure we'll discuss some others, but um, I I looked, um, the one thing about Adam Henrik that bothers me, and everything you said is right, obvious character, obvious pedigree, uh, obviously a UFA, um, uh, Pat Verbeek won't be asking for the moon, I wouldn't think, okay, the only thing that bothers me, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I don't think he's played in a playoff game since 2012. Uh, would be correct so great point that's 12 years ago and and you know not that he's forgotten how to play in the playoffs but, and he might be a great pickup and he might be really good i'm just saying when you and juiced as well right he could yeah. be extra juiced for that hey man have i missed this and hey, yeah this could absolutely. be my final whack at it absolutely but i think when you're considering and analyzing all the parts um I'm not saying that makes you do not do it because his character overrides that. I'm just saying that is something. If we're gonna if we're gonna say Tyler Johnson's played 119 games and that's why he's a good pickup, we also have to mention that Adam Henrique hasn't played in 12 years. Yeah, that, that's a valid point. Someone that we've written a lot about um, heading into the deadline, somebody that has an extra year, still another year to go on his contract, but it's an affordable deal. And kind of checks off a lot of the boxes. He had been a Ranger. Uh, he had had success here. He helped them get to the conference final two years ago. Is Frank Petrano, 
who really helped drive that line was Savannah Jad and Kreider two years ago. Uh, just kind of a straightforward, fast skating, shoot first guy, um, you know, physical when he needs to be. Um, he was just a really good fit, albeit in a small window after the trade deadline. Um, but he's somebody that really intrigues me. I know intrigues Anthony and, and a lot of people on our staff. Um, just your thoughts on that. Also knowing that you wouldn't just be getting Frank Fertrano for the rest of this season, but you'd have to pay for getting him next season as well. One more season. Yeah, my my prediction on that, and I haven't talked to Pat Verbeek, and I, ha I certainly haven't talked to Chris. Um, my prediction on that, that that's uh, Pat Verbeek's biggest chip that he has for a contender. And on top of that, he's got term, like you just said. So he's gonna want, he's gonna want a lot. I mean, I, you know, maybe I, I, I'd be making it up and fantasizing if I said what it is, but like, I'm, I'm sure at least a first round pick and especially from a, a, a contending team that's picking low. So I don't see it happening. And I don't see the Rangers saying, uh oh well let's give them what they want in the future like i i i just don't see it happening um uh would but but jim would he be a good fit absolutely does he know the locker room absolutely i mean has he had a terrific year in anaheim he sure has so all those things are right i just don't see how it happens smith is our guest here on forever blue shirts today uh talking trade deadline with them Rangers are in a good spot right now, you know, no question. You know, they're battling for the top spot overall in the league, just just won 10 games in a row. Uh, now it's 10 out of 11. Uh, you know, they've been at the top of their division pretty much the entire season. So we can debate what they should do, what they might do, what they can do. But what team out there, maybe it's the Rangers, you can make that argument if you like, but what team out there that's a serious contender needs to most make a deal at this deadline in your opinion it's a good question yeah it's it's a hard question too because i don't have any materials in front of me to to sort of look down at um yeah but or i just off the top of your head well off the top of my head vegas has had a lot of injuries and if they want to do a two-peat or a repeat i guess they should say they they they're going to have to do something i wouldn't be surprised because they're very aggressive um the other the other team that's not a complete team, uh, but I, I can't tell you exactly where their incompleteness comes in, but is Colorado. Uh, you know, Colorado's a team that I think I saw them earlier in the year and I thought, gosh, they're a powerhouse. When they played the Islanders, they were just unbelievable. Um, but now they there's a lot of games where they've taken the night off. Now Nakushkin is back. So that'll add a lot. Um but again, that's another offensive piece. Where do they need help? To, you know, um, help me with the name because I'm going to mispronounce it when I say Gregoria. Yeah, yeah. Gorgiev, Gorgiev. Sorry, I always think of George when I see that name. Um, well, they called him Georgie. Oh, did they? Well, because it was easier to say than Gorgiev. Exactly. That's, that's how hockey players are. They you you either end up you either put an I E at the end or a Y at the end or you. You know, that's how we do it. So, you know, I'm going to take you off the tangent here uh, because, you know, Neil Smith is a pretty 
well, let's face it, it's a pretty basic name, right? You're yeah. not setting yourself up for a lot of uh, lot of nicknames. Was it Smitty when you were young, younger, coming up playing? What would they, what'd they call you? Well, you know what? Uh, I don't remember having any nicknames at all. And I got to college, uh, and played, you know, college hockey on a scholarship. And, and everybody in the locker room had a, had a nickname, except for me. I was Neil. And the reason in my locker room that happened, I think, is because we had a Smitty. We had a guy named Steve Smith. And he'd always been called Smitty, and I called him Smitty, and everybody did. And I think with me, they they didn't really have a, you know, something to go to. And my mother said to me, uh, when I'd ask her, why did you name me Neil? And she said, um, well, you couldn't lengthen it, you couldn't shorten it, you couldn't do, you know, do those things with it. You wouldn't get teased at school by them doing something like that. So that's where they, that's where it came from. And of course, there's a lot of Neils around now uh, that came from Neil Armstrong landing on the moon. And then parents, young parents at that point probably said, we'll name, we'll name him Neil. Um, no, so I, I didn't, I didn't really get that. Glenn Sather always used to call me Smitty all the time. I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't care. I didn't particularly like it, but you know, it is what it is. Glenn Sather calls you Smitty. Smitty's good, right? You know. Yeah. <laughs> as long as he keeps giving me guys like Messier and and uh, Tikkanen and uh, then he call me whatever you want. Just it, trade me all those good oh, players. Absolutely. <laughs> um, you mentioned your mom there, and that just takes me off on, a, on another tangent. Um, I know in the past you told me about you know her playing days. You know she, she played. Yeah. Um, and. and I just want to bring that to the present now. I wonder if you have any thoughts about uh, the new women's league and, you know, having kind of the financial heft behind this league finally for them. And um, they're playing in, you know, first class arenas and, uh, you know, they have health insurance and, and proper uh, contracts, again, contracts that they can actually, you know, make a living with not mm -hmm. having to work mm -hmm. two, three other jobs. Um, I know it's kind of a big buildup, but just wondering if you had any thoughts about uh, the PWHL, the new women's league. Well, uh, first of all, it's, it is really unique the way they did it with the, the you know, the one owner of the six teams, uh, Mark Walters, is the, the, along with Billie Jean King. The other thing um, that they did is they have given the um, players and and the support to the league that it needs to try to be successful in the long term. They're, they're, they're going to, I've talked to Brian Burke, they're going to lose a lot of money for the first few years in trying to get this thing going. Um, I think it's great that there is a women's league now that, that has a chance to be successful. Um, I think that, you know, the, uh, I, I think it's good for hockey because it's good to get everybody involved in hockey. I think, uh, the inclusion word, it, it means include everybody. And I think that, that that's really good. I think, I think it's, it's wonderful. Um, my mom played hockey. It's um, surprising to a lot of people because my mom played hockey in, and, and if her day was today, she'd be in the PWHL because she was that good. And I have all the newspaper articles and everything from back then, but it was 1937. It was before World War II. And um, there was a lot of women playing hockey. I mean, they, and it was popular. 
a lot of people went to the games um and and they practiced outdoors and all this stuff that you know because there wasn't that many indoor arenas uh, i by the way played a season outdoors when i was a kid might one of the teams i played on had, the home ice was an outdoor ring um, but having said that um i think it's just good for hockey to have uh women involved and to have a women's league and um i think that this pwhl has the foundation behind it to actually become successful as an enterprise and i i sure hope they do um, we don't want to carry you too much longer you've been so generous with your time today 30-year anniversary of the stanley cup so you know we have to flip back to 94 a little bit we did already you know, talking about the trade deadline. Uh, tell me if I'm right on the mark with this. And and maybe it's not a black and white question, but um, so many times, you know, I do interviews or I, I talk to people, hockey fans about 94 and that season, 93, 94. And I argue that the biggest trade of that season didn't happen at the deadline. Not that getting Stefan Metto, it wasn't huge or McTavish or Anderson, you know, Noonan, all the guys that you mentioned before, but to me, the, the guy that really, in my mind, solidified this group is when you landed Steve Larmer at the beginning of the season. I know he came along with Nick Kiprios. You got a couple guys in that deal, but boy, that move to me, what he brought, and, and he gets so overlooked. So he's such a quiet guy, but I don't know that there's a thing on the ice he didn't do well. Offensive zone, neutral zone, defensive zone. I still look at the picture the final face off and you know people are starting to celebrate the, the gardens erupting everything you tell me what steve larmer's doing he's finishing his check he's yeah. he's taking his guy into the back wall that is steve larmer so i guess your thoughts about steve that trade how that came together and if you agree about you know just the important role that he played for that team well well let me give you one bit of trivia uh, from what you were just talking about so when that face-off happened uh Larmer Jeff Brown came down the boards and that was Jeff uh, Brown that uh Steve Larmer was pinning up against the boards when that when the famous photo went off um this is factual what I'm going to say Jeff Brown reached down grabbed the puck and to this day still has the game puck from the this game seven and i talked to him about a month ago he still got it in a safe someplace and i said well jeff if you ever want to sell it i said you know i i said i'm not talking cheap either i know it's worth money but i said there's no more better puck than that puck um you know that was the last puck and when the buzzer went the rangers had won the cup anyway that's a trivia piece aside it's the steve larmer thing story. Yeah, the Steve Larmer story uh, is, you know, first of all, we all knew how good Steve Larmer was. He was the current, at the time, he was the current Ironman of the league. When he decided to sit out and and, and wouldn't play until he got traded, uh, he broke his own, that broke his own Ironman record uh, when he did that. Um, Mike Keenan was on this one, I got to say, like I knew Alarmer and how good he was. Mike Keenan wanted him because, of course, because he played in Chicago. Anybody that played in Chicago, Keenan wanted, right? Uh, because everybody there was great. Um, so, uh, you know, I started to talk to Pulford about uh, Larmer and I couldn't get anywhere. 
And the reason I couldn't get anywhere, and that was, what was it, November? Uh, was it November? So you're early in the season, and they hate Keenan. Pulford, we're, everybody there hates Keenan. They don't want to send him to New York because then he, they, they've given him to Keenan. So that's why I had to go through Hartford to get him. And in Hartford was Paul Holmgren as, was the GM. And Paul and I worked on this. What will you give me if I can give you, if I can get Larimer? And we worked on it and it, you know, ended up being Turcott and Patrick. And uh, he had another tough guy. Don't ask me who, because I can't remember. You could look it up on Hartford that year. And he said to me, um, okay, you got to take Kiprios too. Because, of the, you know, they were a small market team. They couldn't take all the money. I'm not going to turn down taking Nick to if I can get Steve Larmer. And as it turns out, Nick played in game seven. You know, so, I mean, he wasn't, it, it wasn't like a bad pickup. But it wasn't my intention to get Nick Kiprios. My whole focus was how do I get Steve Larmer? So then when I called Steve Larmer and said, um, Steve, you know, we've just made a trade to get you. You know what he talked to me about? How bad is the traffic there? Because I hate the traffic in Chicago and I don't want to go to another place where there's heavy traffic. I said, you're not going to have to worry about any traffic. We, you know, you'll, you'll live in Rye probably. You practice in Rye. It's a couple blocks away from where you're going to be living. It, when, when you play a game in Manhattan, you'll come in and you'll stay at the hotel across the street during the daytime. And I said, you won't face any traffic at all. He says, okay, great. <laughs> that was my conversation with him. It's a beautiful, having to obviously spend time with Steve Larmer. This does not surprise me, this conversation. Yeah, and he's still to this day is a, is a friend. Um, yeah. I, I talk to him whenever I can. I have his picture on the wall beside me here with his autograph on it from the Stanley Cup. And uh, he should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. He really should be. I mean, he's won a cup. And anybody that knows hockey uh, from that era knows Steve Larmer was, was an all-star. Every team would have loved to have Steve Larmer. Listen, we're going to let you go here because, you, again, you've been so generous with your time. But let's try and get you back in and around June. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll delve a little bit more into 93-94 because I know you never get asked about the 93-94 team ever. So, uh, <laughs> But it would I be get fun introduced, to... Jim. Here's how I get introduced to people. Okay, that, I swear this is it. So my life started at training camp. I was born at training camp in 1993, and I I I died around June 15th, 16th of 1994, because people will introduce me like this. Do you know uh, this is Neil Smith? He was the general manager of the Rangers when they won the cup. That's it. When we won the cup. Yeah, when they won the not cup. Before, he was a general manager when they won the cup. No, yeah. it, it was not the 11 years, not turning it from what I got left from, from Phil Esposito's regime, which was good players, by the way, with Brian Leach and Mike Richter. Um, not what I did to build it up for five years. Not what I was trying to do at the end when we were trying to rebuild. Um, just the guy that was the general manager when they won the cup. So I, I find it funny because, I, you know, we all get a tag put on us when we get introduced to people. You know, this is Jim Cerny. He used to work for the Rangers. This is, you know, you, and, I, and so I, I, I get it by now, but it's like, 
you know, I'll often laugh about it and say, yeah, that that's all I've ever done in my life is that one thing, you know? So uh, it's funny. For, from now on, when, when we do these, and we've done a lot of these over the years, but when we moving forward, when we do these, I will just introduce you as, you know what? He's a really good guy. He's Neil Smith, <laughs> because that would not be a lie. So how's that? That's great. And, and you know what? Um, the one thing that uh, that's the one thing that I've tried to achieve in my life is to leave this earth with people saying he was a really good guy. And if I can accomplish that, what more do I need? That's all I need. 